You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Benson. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to redirect our attention once again to 1 Thessalonians. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we want to praise you and thank you for this body of believers that makes up this church. God, we're thankful that you give us a a day of the week set aside for being able to gather together for encouragement, for upbuilding with one another. God, for time to be devoted to the word together, devoted to prayer together. Devoted to just focusing our attention on you and what you've done in our life as we prepare for a, another week of serving you in our jobs and in our um, schools, God, that we would use today as a, as a springboard for that. And God, that we would use our time in the word to give us direction for this week and how we uh, spend our time, how we spend our resources. God, that we would receive the word today. That we would hear it and we would accept it into our life as you've commanded us to. In the same way that the church in Thessalonica heard your word and and accepted your word as well. So God, I pray that you would speak to us today through the Holy Spirit, through your inspired word. God, that we would receive it not as a word from me or, or a word from any other man, but instead as what it really is, the word of God. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. Once again, we are in First Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you'll direct your attention there. We have continued our discussion on discipleship. We have continued our discussion on um, just what it means to, uh, to follow Christ within the context of planting a church. And we've looked at how Paul has grown this church effectively. By investing his life into this group of people, even though it was for a very short amount of time. Uh, he poured his life into this group of people. God blessed that. God nurtured that. And God has grown this church through those efforts. Uh, so we look again at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and we'll start in verse 1 again to set the context for verse 13, which is where we'll be today. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then verse 13 is where we'll be today. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you, believers. Now we've been understanding these verses in the context of what Paul says in that one phrase where he says, I've been entrusted with the gospel. God has approved me. God called me into relationship with him. And he has therefore entrusted me to spread this gospel, this life-changing news. And we've kind of defined the gospel in a simple phrase of, 
God's plan to save man from his sin through Jesus Christ for his glory forever. It starts with God and it ends with God. It's God's plan for his glory. And he achieves his glory by saving us as his creation from our sin through his son, Jesus Christ, so that he receives all the glory and honor forever. Entrusted with the gospel, we've, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we've seen some different ways or, or some different things that it means to be entrusted with the gospel. We started off by saying that it means that we are to endure in the gospel. Paul says that despite the, the conflict, despite the suffering, despite the shameful treatment, he has continued to persevere and he has continued to boldly proclaim the gospel to others. He hasn't been discouraged. He hasn't grown uh, weary to the point where he wants to stop proclaiming the gospel. He has been met with resistance in each city that he's come to. But he's continued to endure in the gospel. We said that we're to continue to grow in the gospel, knowing it more deeply. Because Paul says when he came, his appeal for them to turn to the gospel did not spring from error. Meaning that the gospel that he shared was accurate. It was it was. It was coming from a deep understanding of what it means for Christ to save us. And so we have a responsibility to grow in our understanding of the gospel. And we're to protect the gospel. We're to recognize when we're exposed to false gospels, to when we're exposed to error. We said, number four, we're to reflect the gospel. Because Paul says, you, you know that I came without impurity and, and any attempt to deceive. I didn't come with, with wrong motives. I didn't come for my own purposes. Even though there, there were a lot of people during that time who were circulating teaching and were showing up as teachers in these communities for their own purposes. And we said some were even so corrupt that they were using the platform of teaching about spiritual things to receive sexual favors in return. We said that we're also to declare the gospel. He says, I've been entrusted with it and so we speak not to please man but to please God. We didn't come with words of flattery, pretext for greed. We didn't seek glory from people. We came to share with you the gospel. So we declare it and then, as we saw last week, we invest the gospel. We invest the gospel. He says, I affectionately desire you. I'm ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also myself, my own life, because you become very dear to us. He says, you remember our, our, our labor and our toil, how we work day and night. That we might not be a burden to any of you. And so we said that investing the gospel into somebody, discipleship, pouring ourselves into somebody, it, it has to focus on us giving of ourselves. He uses the illustration of, of a nursing mother. That in the same way a nursing mother cares about the needs of the one that she has given birth to, that we too share that same perspective spiritually. That in, in, in someone coming to Christ, we care for their spiritual needs in such a way that we give of ourselves to nurture them, to grow them up in maturity. We feed them because when they first come to Christ, they are too young or, or aren't really sure how to feed themselves yet with the word. You may, have, you may have experienced at times talking to someone who is very, very young in the faith, who has no idea where even to start reading in the Bible. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a massive book in their perspective. There's, there's no clear direction about where to start. Um, and so they need to be nurtured and fed and taken care of in those early infant stages. The focus is giving. The motive is loving. As we said, Paul uses strong, strong language for these people that he's, he's only grown to know in a very short amount of time. We said that time is demanding. Last week we looked at how Paul, who had every right to demand payment for being a minister of the word, that scripture allows for that and encourages that. That Paul said, no, I want to set the example for the lay person. I want the, the average church member to understand that you can do full-time ministry, in a sense, while working a full-time job. And so Paul sets this example and, and communicates to us that it's possible for every single one of us. It doesn't matter what you're doing with school. It doesn't matter what you're doing with a job. That there is time in your schedule to minister, to invest the gospel in others. Paul found time. He said, I work day and night. I work hard. I work to the point where I'm tired. It wasn't that Paul had an easy job where somehow he, he got away with making money and wasn't tired from the schedule that he was working. He says, I'm tired. I, I'm tired from my labor. 
But it doesn't stop me from investing the gospel. Because I've been put here. I've been called into relationship with God. Not just to work a job for my family. Not just to work a job to keep myself alive. But to invest the gospel in others. And then we said ultimately his goal. Paul's goal for all this is glorifying. He wants to see this body of believers come to the point where they are glorifying God. He says in verse 11 and 12. For you know... How like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we used the illustration last week that it's like a group of students sitting in a classroom and the teacher's trying to get their attention and and the students continue to talk. And one by one, they start to realize, hey, our teacher's calling for our attention. And you begin to direct other students' attention to the teacher. Paul says, I'm trying to direct your attention to a God who is calling you into his kingdom. My goal is for you to start glorifying God, to start living in a way that's worthy of him, to do what he's asking you to do. I'm just telling you what he's asking you to do. His goal was glorifying. And so today, adding on to what we've already said, it means to be entrusted with the gospel. Number seven, we are to believe the gospel. We are to believe the gospel. Knowing it is continually working in us. Belief in the gospel doesn't start and end with our salvation. When we believe the gospel, we enter into a relationship with God. But we are called to continue believing the gospel every step of the way. For the rest of our life, believing the gospel is what we're to be known for. So it involves growing in it, deepening ourselves in it. But responding in faith and trust constantly to what the gospel has to say about our salvation. Continually turning from sin on a daily basis. Continually confessing our sin and repenting of our sin. And turning to Christ who we believe is better than sin. Better than the things this world has to offer. It's continually recognizing that our good works don't earn favor with God. It's reconditioning our minds to believe the gospel. That good works do not earn favor with God. That perfect works have already been accomplished for us through the work of Christ. He says in verse 13, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. It didn't just work in the past. It is still continually at work in you as a believer. It's continually at work in you as a believer. All right. Um. I think we could say that the main point that Paul's trying to make here in especially verses 1 through 13 of chapter 2. The main point is that he wants us to understand that the word is effective. The word is effective. He says, we didn't come to you in vain. Our ministry has not been in vain to you. The word has been effective. And ultimately he's saying in in verses 2 through 12, here's what I did. Here was the delivery of the word to you. Here's everything that I did. And and he's shown us both right conduct and right teaching. He says, I came with pure motives. I came with a pure lifestyle. And I also came with pure teaching. And we said discipleship is both. There's a teaching aspect and a setting of an example aspect. We model it, but we also have to teach it. We can't just model what it means to follow Christ without following it up with teaching. Paul says, I modeled it for you. I delivered it. Here's what I did. He recaps it for him. Here's what I did. Remember how I came to you? And remember what I did once I got here. I taught you. I exhorted you. Like the Holy Spirit uses the same word for what the Holy Spirit does for us. I came alongside of you. I encouraged you. I spurred you on in your faith. I comforted you when you failed. When you fell into sin, I was there to comfort you, to lift you up, to keep pushing you on. I'm not going to let you settle for failure in your life. And he says, I continue to charge you that you have to do this. You have to follow Christ. You have to submit to this. I'm not content with watching you wallow in failure. I love you too much as as my brothers and sisters in Christ. So he set the direction for both right living and right teaching. So in verses 2 through 12, he says, here's what I did. And now as we come to verses 13 and hopefully next week 14, we turn our attention to what they did. What did, the, what did the church at Thessalonica do to make the word effective? Paul, Paul has labored. He says, I've worked hard. 
I have modeled it. I've taught it. I've worked hard so that I could spend time with you. But it doesn't just stop there. It's a two-way street. We can pour ourselves into somebody. But if that person doesn't do their responsibility, then our efforts, our efforts are, are not effective in the way that we desire. So now we turn our attention to verse 13. We thank God constantly for this. That you received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men. But as what it really is. The word of God. Which is at work in you believers. As I was studying this passage this week. I wrote down two initial applications that stood out to me. Just from reading over this verse a couple of times. Two initial applications. Number one. Hearing the word from others. Hearing the word from others is necessary for my own spiritual growth. Hearing the word from others is necessary for my own spiritual growth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. We get an idea of why we structure our Sunday mornings the way that we do. There's a lot of churches today that are moving away from the spoken sermon. That they're changing it up, that it's outdated. It's outdated to have one person speaking truth from the Word. But in 2 Timothy 4.1, and we believe that the Bible is timeless in what it calls us to do. That when it spoke something into existence through the Holy Spirit... And it was written down and recorded for us. It's for all time. Okay, it's for all time. It says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's important for you guys to be in the word on your own. It's important for you to study the word on your own. But Sunday morning is a time for us to come together corporately to get our direction together as a church from the word. We preach sermons. We teach sermons on Sundays to to gather together a body of believers and to unify us in the word. That we're learning the same thing so that we can then direct everything during our week out of what we've learned together. That we structure our church based on what we're learning. And so hearing the word becomes necessary for your spiritual growth in this church. Number two, passing the word along to others is necessary to make disciples. Passing the word along to others is necessary to make disciples. Paul says the main point here is that the word's been effective. And the way the word that's been affected, I came with right conduct and right teaching, but you did your part, Thessalonica. You did your part. You, you heard the word. You received the word. I passed it along to you. If we're going to make disciples, if we're going to be faithful to make disciples, we have to understand that it involves teaching the word to other people. If we just, if we just default into saying, well, I'm going to try to live a really good Christ-honoring life, and hopefully people in the church will pick up on what I'm doing and will start to model what I'm doing, we're going to be ineffective in making disciples. Jesus has told us to, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that Christ commanded. So there has to be a role of teaching the Word to people to make disciples. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be gifted in teaching. People who are gifted in teaching are able to stand up in front of multiple people and share and teach from God's Word. When we talk about like one-on-one settings, you're teaching the Word, but that does not have to be something that you have to be gifted in to do it. You have a responsibility to share the Gospel. That's not given to a few people in the church. That's given to everyone, that responsibility. 
And I believe the responsibility has been given to everyone to teach the word to other people, specifically new believers. Which means if we have a responsibility to hear the word and to pass the word along, it means that you and your disciples need to be under the faithful teaching of the word regularly. Tyson and I talked about this before. There were, there were times that um, uh, Tyson was trying to meet with people for discipleship that were not coming to church. And, and there, was, there was a lack of progress there. And, and me and Tyson would talk about like frustrations like, I'm doing everything that I know to do. And I'm not getting any response. And, and that's a picture of the fact that unless, it's a, unless two things are going on there, we're modeling and teaching and the people that we're doing it for receive it, then it won't be effective. But I finally told Tyson, I said, you need to set up a standard where you tell these people you will not meet with them again until they start coming to a local church. That they have to connect with a body of believers. They have to hear the word taught regularly in an authoritative way from a, from a pastor or from an elder. You and your disciples have to be hearing the word regularly for disciple making in this church to be effective. Paul's success in his ministry, which he told us about in two one, chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, um, it's not been in vain. The reason his ministry was not in vain, it was, it's due to his faithfulness to the word. He preached it. In, in verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, verse 8, verse 9, verse 12, verse 13, he continues to reiterate to the people of Thessalonica, I shared it with you, I taught it with you, I passed it on to you. Consistently, he says, my ministry is known for me teaching you the word. So he was faithful to the word. He taught it. But then, as we're seeing today in verse 13, they were faithful to receive it. They were faithful to receive it. Let's break down verse 13 now and see what what the interpretation is and then the application for us today. Number one in your notes, we have a responsibility to teach and hear the word, to teach it and to hear it. On this point, I'm going to talk to you from both perspectives. You have a responsibility to teach the word and you have a responsibility to hear the word. So there's part of you that needs to be in Paul's position where you see yourself as Paul. I have a responsibility to teach the word to others. But then also see yourself as the Thessalonian church where you have a responsibility to hear the word. You have a responsibility to teach it and to hear it. He says, I thank God constantly for this. That you received the word of God. The the, the phrase there, receiving the word, it means hearing the word. Hearing the word. They They physically took it in. Which means receiving the word is necessary in order to be changed. So in your notes there. Receiving the word is necessary in order to be changed. They received it, meaning they physically were able to hear it. Like they physically heard it inside their head. Like their ears took it in. They comprehended it. You know, the noise level around them wasn't so loud that they couldn't hear what Paul was saying. They physically comprehended what he was saying. They weren't, they weren't asleep when he was talking. They weren't just bodily present and mentally somewhere else. They heard it. They heard the word. And Paul says, I'm so grateful and thankful that you were intentional to listen to me as I taught the word. Now we know from Romans chapter 10, if you want to turn over there. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 in in verse 14. We'll actually back up to verses 1 through 4. Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now here Paul's talking to the Jewish people, but but hopefully we can see... 
that lost people in our context are, are these people. He says that they have a zeal, they have a zeal for righteousness, but it's based on ignorance. They're ignorant of what God really requires. And they're trying to establish their own righteousness. We've talked about this before. This is the main way people think they go to heaven. This is unfortunately a way a lot of people in church believe that they get to heaven. It's by doing righteous things, by their own righteousness, that if my good outweighs my bad, then I can get to heaven. Paul says the Jewish people are guilty of this, and I have such a desire to see them saved. And what I've got to do is correct their wrong thinking. He says they think that they can get to heaven by good works, and I've got to correct it. And this is the same for us. Wherever you work, wherever you go to school, whatever it is you do during the week, you encounter people who are ignorant to the righteousness of God. Which means you have to teach them the word to correct it. Look what he says in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear Without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now we often use that verse to to try to motivate people to go to the unreached people groups of the world. Like, how are they going to know unless someone goes and tells them? And that's true. Like, we have a responsibility to consider the unreached peoples around this world that do not have any access to the gospel. But Paul's talking about people who have heard, but haven't really heard it. He's talking about people who have yet to comprehend the righteousness of God. And he says, how is their ignorance going to be corrected unless someone continually goes and shares with them that they've got it? They've got to understand Christ has accomplished righteousness for them. He says, how can they hear unless someone tells them? How can they call on him? How can they believe on him unless someone tells them? So implication number one for us, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, I I came and shared the word with you. So the implication for us is, I must be faithful to proclaim the word rightly. I must be faithful to proclaim the word rightly. There are people who have the word, but they have it wrongly. There are people who are growing up in Sonoy, growing up in Griffin, growing up in Noonan, who have been exposed to Christianity, but they have it wrongly. They have it wrongly. There are kids in my, in my classes who have grown up in church who still, in their minds, think, good works get me to heaven. They've been told differently, but they haven't heard it yet. They haven't gotten it yet. So yes, this verse motivates us to the unreached people groups. But it should also spur us on to be faithful to teach the word right here in our current context. Because there are people who believe wrongly about God, about salvation. I'll put in my notes, you are proclaiming Christ, true or false, and influencing people, good or bad. When you, when you go to work, when you go to school, wherever it is you go, you are influencing people about Christ. Especially if people know that you're a Christian. It could be either good or bad. The things that you proclaim about Christ could be true or false, but you are proclaiming things about Christ. Paul tells us in Romans, for someone to believe in and call on God, they must hear about him. And as we think about this in context of discipleship, will people continue to call on and believe on God based on what we've told them about him? Paul says they can't initially call on him and believe in him until someone goes and tells them. But as we think about discipleship, will they continue to call on God and and seek God based on what we tell them about Christ? Because I'm a strong believer that a new Christian, a new Christian will be radically shaped, will be radically shaped by the first things they learn. That's why this is so important, because as we talk about planting this church and growing this church, we want to grow it with new believers. And we want you guys to be equipped to disciple them. And as a new believer comes into this church, they are going to be radically shaped by the things that you teach them. The first things that they learn will shape them for the rest of their life. It is so hard to unprogram somebody who has been exposed to bad theology. Some of you know that you grew up at times with bad theology, and it's just now being corrected in your life. 
We want to have good theology. We want to have a good understanding of God's word so that we can teach it rightly when people come into this church for the very first time. I was talking, I texted Jordan this week. There was a time at Faith where I was going to do something in the hallway and there was another teacher talking to her about God. And I walked by and overheard it and my ears perked up and I said, that's wrong. Like what he is telling her is wrong. And so I waited for him to finish his little spiel with her and the advice that he was giving her. And I said, come here. I said, we need to fix what that man just told you. Like that was wrong. Like that is incorrect. What he told you was incorrect. And at the time, I don't remember how long Jordan had been coming. Like uh, it may have been like early to where I really felt like I've got to correct this. Because Jordan is still young in her faith, at least young in being exposed to what our church is doing. And, and i got to make sure this is fixed because that's bad. What he's telling her is, is wrong. We have, to, we have to know God's word, not just for ourselves, but so that we can teach it to others and teach it to them rightly. Because a new believer, when, when Lord will and God begins to save people through the efforts of this church, they need to be exposed to God rightly. And it's going to be up to you to teach them rightly. Implication number two, I must be faithful to hear the word regularly. Not only do I have to teach the word rightly, to proclaim it rightly, I need to hear it regularly. Paul says, I'm thankful that you heard it. Now, we're not talking about, like, applying it yet or anything like that. We're just saying, you guys were faithful to hear it. You were faithful to be in a position to hear the word regularly. There's some other passages that talk about our attitude of hearing. In 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul reminds Timothy, he says, there's, there's a time coming where... People will only want to hear what they want to hear. Meaning that we can't be guilty of coming to church on Sunday and only listening if it appeals to us for that day. Does it, does it tickle my ears? Does it, does it interest me? Does the topic that we're talking about, does the, the place that we're at in Scripture interest me? No, we come ready to learn no matter where it is that we're at in Scripture. I was reading a blog this week about a guy uh, who preaches up north. And he was reading from Ezra 2, and he said it was so challenging because it's a list of people that came back from the exile in Babylon. He was like, I don't know how I'm going to teach Ezra 2, and I've struggled with it. And then he said, ultimately, he realized it's inspired, like it comes from God. And so he wrestled through it and was able to teach an expository sermon about a list of people who came back from, from Babylon. He, as the preacher, initially looked at it and said, this doesn't interest me. Like, I, I'm not interested in teaching this. But then working through it with the Holy Spirit, he said, it's necessary. Like, God put it here for a reason, and he was able to teach it powerfully and effectively. We come on Sundays not to, not to be entertained, but to hear the word exposed to us. But we also have to make sure we come and we're not in a mindset of being dull of hearing. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, we've referenced this already recently. About this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. We've got to guard and protect ourselves. But again, we've talked about this before, that we don't come like we come to a movie where we sit on Sunday, we experience Sunday, and then we leave and we forget about Sunday. That what we hear on Sunday has to translate during the week. That we're building off of it every Sunday that we come together. And then if you don't think about it again, then the word's not going to be effective like it needs to be. That we can't become dull of hearing where we're having to constantly go over discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. That we have to begin to implement what we're learning so that we don't become dull of hearing. And you notice there I put a section, becoming a better hearer. What are some things that, that initially you can think of that would help us or help you become a better hearer of the word? Not applying it, but just simply hearing it better on a Sunday. Because Paul said, I'm first of all thankful that you heard it. I'm just thankful you took it in. We'll get into a minute what he says about applying it. But what are some things that we can practically do to hear the word better on a Sunday? Or any time that you're being exposed to the teaching of the word. Okay. Be rested. Limit your distractions. Okay. Limit your distractions. 
Maybe, um, yeah, like making sure that whatever it is you have to do after church has already been thought through before you get here. Because it's easy. I mean, it's easy without even realizing it. We begin to think about what do I have to do when this is over? Like, I hope we get done on time because I've only allowed myself enough time this afternoon to get everything done that I need to. So this got to stop on time. And i gotta, I got to hit every point right on time or I'm going to miss something. To, to kind of think in advance and say, I want to make sure that my mind's clear so that when I sit on Sunday, it's just me, the Holy Spirit, and the Word that's being taught. That's all I have to focus on. And, and being rested is a part of that as well. Coming, coming on a Sunday where you're rested. If, if, if you find that you need to go to bed at a different time Saturday night, then so be it. For some of us, that's not as much of an issue maybe. Um, some of us can stay up late and be just fine here. Others of us may need to consider an earlier bedtime on Saturday to be a better here. What's some other things? Checking your Okay, yeah, great. Preparing to have the right attitude even before we get here, anticipating that what I'm going to do this morning is important. And so I need to prepare mentally uh, so that I don't waste my time today, that I'm, I'm ready to receive what God's going to give me. And so, like, as you're listening, like, listen in dependence, if that makes sense, and understand that, like, true change in your heart and Okay, yeah. Yeah, praying that the Holy Spirit even helps us listen rightly because we won't be changed without the hearing of the Word. I mean, I mean, Paul tells us that in Romans. Unless they hear it, they're not going to be changed. They can't call on Him and see God rightly unless they hear the Word. So it's crucial that we hear it and that we hear it rightly, which to me means taking notes and asking questions to make sure that you've heard it rightly. Because it's not it's so, so far to think that that you could hear it wrongly, even trying to listen and, and hear it rightly. That there, there can be miscommunication. Something that I think that I'm communicating clearly may come across very unclear to you. So being able to, to commit to taking notes and, and as I'm teaching, if there's things that you're like, mm, I, don't know, I don't know what he means by that, or I, I need some further explanation about that, writing down questions as I'm teaching and coming to me later and asking those questions. That's going to help you hear it better because you're, you're listening in a way to where you really want to make sure you get it, you understand it. And then even um, re-listening potentially to the podcast to make sure that you have heard it because you're going to hear portions of what I'm teaching today. Probably none of you will hear everything that I teach today. There will be times, as much as you may fight it, that you will zone out, you will tune out, and then come back with us here in a few minutes. And you will have missed something. So sometimes re-listening to podcasts or just re-reading through the notes is a great way to help you become a better hearer. Something that I've also encouraged people to do is to study along with us in 1 Thessalonians in advance. Meaning that, hey, we're going to be obviously coming to verse 14, 15, 16 pretty soon. It may not be next week, but we'll be in those verses very soon. For you to say, hey, I'm just going to study ahead. I'm going to see what I see in the verse before Adam teaches it. Because that's going to help me be ready to hear it better because I've already looked at it. I already know where I think Adam may go with this. Let's see if he does go in that direction. And if he doesn't, let me talk to him about it afterwards and see if he saw the same things that I did and just didn't mention it. Or if I was maybe wrong about my understanding of the passage. Re- re- studying in advance so that you understand the context correctly and you're coming ready to hear it because you've already looked at it some. And then also, I would encourage you to listen when you're not in here. If you're in the nursery, or if you're teaching the kids, or if you're just gone for that week, just say, hey, I, I didn't hear the word this week in the context of Sovereign Hope. I need to listen to the podcast. I need to listen to the podcast. And, and here's where, where we've got to understand. It's not me saying, hey, I, I want you to listen to me because you, you missed me teaching on Sunday. This, this goes into us receiving it as not the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. 
It's not about you missing me teaching. It's about you missing out on the word being spoken that week. And it needs to take priority in your life where you say, hey, I need to I need to get that. I need to hear that. I need to be up to speed with where we're at as a church by listening to the podcast when I miss it. So teaching and hearing the word, you have a responsibility to teach it accurately, but also to be faithful to hear it, to put yourself in a position to where you can hear it effectively. You're rested, you're ready to take notes, you're ready to ask questions, you're ready to engage in the sermon, basically. you studied a little bit in advance. You're ready to hear it from God. Number two, number two, we're now ready to accept the word. Accept the word. He says, we thank God constantly that you received the word which you heard from us, and you accepted it. You accepted it. The word for accepting, it's a, um, it's a hospitality word. It's a hospitality word, meaning not only did they hear it, they welcomed it. They, they wanted it. They, 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 they set the environment for the word to be welcomed into their life. They were hospitable with the word, meaning they, they wanted it to come in. They wanted it to come in. They were welcoming to it. And the reason they were welcoming to it is because they had identified it as not the words of men, but what it really is, the word of God. And so they said, we want more of God. We want more of God's word. We want to know what God wants from us. So we want to hear it and we want to welcome it. We want to bring it in. They agreed with it. They accepted it as the word of God. If you want to jot down a couple of verses um, that helps reaffirm that to us, 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter 1, 20-21, 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter 1, 20-21, and Hebrews 4.12. Those are passages where we build our understanding of inspiration from. Is that the Holy Spirit spoke through men. The Holy Spirit carried along human authors as they wrote and inspired every single word that's in Scripture. So when we teach Scripture and study Scripture, we receive it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. That's the doctrine of inspiration that the Holy Spirit fed this to human authors. And he guided their penmanship as they wrote it. So some, some difference in perspective. If we receive it as, as words from God in comparison to words from men. If we're receiving this word as a word from God and not from man, it means that obeying it becomes necessary, not optional. Obeying it becomes necessary, not optional. See, I'm not up here sharing with you how I personally handle uh, my finances. That's opinion. That's opinionated. That's, hey, you can do this if you want to. You don't have to. Here's, I'm just going to share with you some thoughts and opinions that I have about this. When we stand up and teach on a Sunday morning, it's authoritative, not opinionated. It's necessary, not optional for you to respond to it. Because it's not words from men, it's words from God. It's supernatural, it's not natural. Obeying it is for my good. It's not risky. Obeying it is for my good. It's not risky. Meaning there, there's no risk in, in thinking, should I or should I not do what I heard this morning at church? Should I or should I not try to invest my life for the gospel? Should I really try to do discipleship and try to father or mother a family? Like, is that wise? Can I really do that? It's not optional. It's not an opinion. It, it, it's the word of God. It's not, the, it's not the thoughts of men. It's what it really is, the word of God. Which means you don't need to think about if you should or shouldn't do it. It's for your good. We believe, Romans eight twenty eight that God works everything in our life for our good. For his glory. And that his commands in scripture are good and right for us. So there's no risk involved. We respond to God's word when we hear it as God's word automatically. There's no thought that goes into it. It's for our good. It's not optional. 
I like what he says too. In verse 13. You heard it from us. You heard it from us. When the message comes from God, it's consistent. It's not unique to the speaker. Make sure you understand that. Paul's not saying you heard me. He's saying you heard us. Meaning you heard the same message from me, from Timothy, and from Silas. Like you, you heard it from us. You heard us speak truth to you. It's the same message because it's coming from the same source. That's why we desire to have other elders in this church who are gifted to teach you so that it's not just me that leads this church through the word. So that this church doesn't take on the personality of one man. So that this church doesn't rise and fall based on me being here or not being here. That you can come on a Sunday morning and know you will hear consistently the same word taught no matter which man stands up here. Paul says you heard this message from us. From us. And it was consistent. It was a consistent message. It wasn't some new thing that Paul had come up with. It was consistent with what the other men were teaching as well. We see its consistency as well in Acts chapter 17. Remember when we said that Paul established his church here at this church in Thessalonica? Acts 17. Let's go there real quick. Acts chapter 17. This is the historical account of the church at Thessalonica being planted. In verse 2 it says, Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Where do you think he's teaching from there? When it says that he reasoned from the scriptures, what scriptures is he talking about? Yeah, he's talking about Old Testament. I mean, there's no New Testament right now to speak of. Sometimes the Old Testament gets a bad rap and we say, like, it's done with, it's old, it's the Old Covenant, we don't need it anymore. I'm just going to spend my time worrying about the New Testament. I have to fight this, that I don't just teach from the New Testament, that I don't just study from the New Testament. Because Paul built his case for the Messiah by preaching from the Old Testament. And it was consistent. It was consistent with this, with this movement that he was a part of, planting churches for the gospel. We see that in um, Acts 17, down in verse 11, when he moves out of Thessalonica and moves to Berea. Verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. That same idea, they're receiving it, they're taking it in, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They took what Paul said and they compared it to the Old Testament to make sure there was consistency there. When the word comes from God and not from man, it's consistent. It's consistent in the Old Testament. It's consistent in the New Testament. And it's consistent no matter which man is up here preaching at Sovereign Hope. If it's God's word, it's consistent. Paul says, you receive the word that you heard from us. Not just from me, but from us. And you heard it from the Old Testament... You heard it from the Old Testament. I didn't just preach you new ideas. I preached to you the Old Testament. I'm going to write the New Testament predominantly, but I'm teaching from the Old Testament. Which gives us a couple of implications for our life. Implication number one, I must begin to recognize when God's word is not being spoken. I must recognize when God's word is not being spoken. You guys need to know when an imposter is speaking for God. Because if you're not careful, you'll be the type of person that receives and hears everything that comes from a religious teacher. And obviously that's not good. You need to be able to recognize when God's word is being spoken and when man's opinion is being spoken. When false teaching is being spoken. Because Paul says, I'm thanking God that you heard and you received and you didn't take it as the word of man. You took it as it really is the word of God. Part of the way we know that is we act like the Bereans. We, you, examine everything that I teach and make sure it's consistent. You make sure it's consistent with what your Bible says. I was telling my sixth graders this week, we live in a time 
where we don't have to worry about this like people did during the Reformation time. During the Reformation time, the Bible was written in Latin and nobody could read it. So they were at the mercy, they were at the mercy of what the church leaders were telling them. And the church leaders were telling us crazy stuff like, hey, if you come buy this piece of paper from the church, you can get forgiveness for your sins. Great, sign me up for that. You're talking about like, I can just, I can just purchase something and I get forgiveness? Yeah, and what's really great is you can even purchase this for people that have already died. Just give us your money, we'll give you this piece of paper and it gets them out of heaven, or gets them out of hell and gets them into heaven. We'll start our line over here. We got a sale today. You can buy these cheaper today. It's our first day we're offering this. But they were totally at the mercy of what the preacher was telling them. This is what it means in Latin. And then guys like John Wycliffe came along and said, eh, "We're going to translate this into English so that everybody can read it and know that you guys are false. You guys have the ability to examine Scripture and make sure it's consistent, so that you can receive what I say." Not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the words of God. I must begin to recognize when God's word is not being spoken. And then implication number two. I must be faithful to accept the word, both by believing and acting on it. I must be faithful to accept the word, to welcome it, by believing that it's good for me. That it's not optional, it's not an opinion, that I act on it. What are some ways that we can become a better acceptor of the word? We've talked about ways that we can hear it better. What are some ways that we can become better at accepting it? Meaning, we become better at applying it. What are some practical things you can think of? Okay. Being humble enough to admit um, potentially where we're wrong and we need correction, that it's addressing things in our life. I think maybe perhaps taking the time to ask the teacher Yeah, and one way that you can think through it afterwards and make application, and I would encourage you to do this because I can't give you this in your notes really, it's to write application sentences based off of what you heard that day. Like I give you things that are called application, but it's not really technically application because it rarely tells you specifically how to do something. See, you can leave today and say, I am going to do this. That, that's how an application sentence starts. I will do this this week. I've, I've heard something on Sunday. Here's what I'm going to do with it. And that's going to be different for you in your context. And when I've, when I've taught some of you about studying the Bible, interpretation is the same. The interpretation here is that we have a responsibility to make disciples. We have to make disciples. We have to invest the gospel. Application is different for each one of us. For me... In studying this, application became, I'm going to meet with guys on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights, and whoever shows up, shows up, and I'm going to pour my life into them and teach them everything I know about God. That was application for me out of studying this. Wednesday nights and Thursday nights are are me and God time in this church, and I'm going to invest my life in them. That was me not physically writing out an application sentence, but saying, I will start to meet with men Wednesdays and Thursdays for the purpose of discipleship. You can become a better acceptor of the word by writing personal application sentences for yourself. Flipping it over on the back on Monday morning, the notes that you took today. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with this? Because to not do anything with it is to accept it as the words of men. To make application is to say, this is the word of God. i got to do something with it. Like, this is supernatural. Men fought to translate this into a language I can understand. Like they, they died so that I could read this in a language that I can understand. I've got to do something with this. We can make applic- can write application sentences. We can discuss what we've heard with others. You can call each other up and say, hey, let's get together this week and talk about what we heard on Sunday and, and wrestle through this together. How can we do this as a young married couple? How can we do this as a couple with kids? How can we do this as single guys? 
How can we do this as single girls? How can we respond to what we heard on Sunday? Calling people up and saying, let's talk about the sermon on Sunday and how we can apply it. Examining the validity of what you've heard, just like the Bereans. Saying, did did what Adam say on, on Sunday, was it words of man or words of God? What does the word have to say? I love John 4.42. It's the story of the, um, the woman at the well. Remember that Jesus talks with the woman at the well. He says, you know, you don't have a husband. You've had, you've had husbands in the past. Currently, you don't have any husbands. Uh, they dialogue about living water. She goes back to her town and says, uh, the Messiah is here. He's told me everything that I've ever done. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I've ever did. Verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that it is indeed the Savior of the world. The woman directed their attention to God and said, here's the Messiah, here's the Messiah, and they believed her. They believed her. But then they tell her, we don't just believe now because you told us, we believe because we've seen it ourselves. See, you can believe me. As a proclaimer of God's word, that you're supposed to make disciples. But when you begin to see it in the word yourself, when you see it in the word yourself, then it becomes, I don't just understand that I'm supposed to make disciples because Adam tells me I'm supposed to. I've seen it for myself in the word. It's not optional. Adam's not coming up with some idea for our church. It's, it's God's word. I've got to receive it as what it really is, God's word. Number three, be changed by the word. We hear it, we teach it, we accept it, and we're changed by it. We'll wrap up with this. Back in 1 Thessalonians 2. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Which is at work in you, believers. The word accomplishes the purpose of change in our life. Isaiah 55 talks about how God's word does not return void. In Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word accomplishes the purpose of change in our life. That phrase at work in you. It's the Greek word that we get energy from. It's the Greek word that we get energy from. Those of you that have been under my teaching, do you remember where this word is also used in the New Testament? Philippians where? What is it talking about? Yeah, where where we're told to work out our salvation and it's God that works in us. It's, It's actually God that works our salvation out. God provides us the energy to be obedient to him. It's the same word that he's using here. He says, you've accepted God's word, you received it, you heard it, and now it's at work in you. God is using the word to work in you. God works in our life, and the way that he he works in our life is by using his written word. He uses the written word to work in our life. That's why it's so necessary that we hear it. Paul says they can't, they can't call on him, they can't believe in him, unless they hear the spoken word. Unless they're able to take the word in. Paul says, I'm thankful that you heard it, you received it, because it's now working inside of you. It's changing you. It's changing you. Ultimately, the Bible, the word, plus the Holy Spirit... It's the cause of them turning from idols, serving the living God, and waiting for Jesus to come back. Remember, Paul's already praised them for the fruit, their, their labor of love, their steadfastness. They, they turn from idols. They're serving the living and true God. They're waiting for Jesus to come back. That's all an outpouring, a, a fruit of the word working inside of them. Those things happen because they received the word. They heard it and they accepted it. Number four... Be thankful for the word. Be changed by it and be thankful for it. 
Paul doesn't take any praise for the work that's happened in their life. He says, we thank God constantly that you received the word of God. Which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men. But as what it really is. The word of God. He says, our ministry has not been in vain. Because God has worked here. It's, it's God's word that's done this. Not us. We've been faithful to put forth all our effort. We've worked hard. We've toiled and labored. We've set good conduct. We've we've done good teaching. But ultimately, it's the Word that's accomplished all this. Paul's praising God. He says, basically, praise God that all my time, labor, and effort have meant something. Praise God that everything that I've poured into this church has meant something. Remember, we said that Paul wasn't really sure the status of this church. And that's why he was so anxious to hear the report from Timothy. He says, praise God that this has worked. And it's a continued expression of right motives by Paul. Remember we said that he's here for God's glory. I'm not here for, for greed or for flattery. I'm here for God's glory. And we said last week, he's here to make God pleasers. I want you to live a life that's worthy of God who's calling you to his kingdom. So essentially he's saying, I'm here for God's glory. I'm here to make God pleasers. When you please God, I give God glory. That's that's the pattern we see here. Paul says, I'm here for God's glory. I'm here to make you pleasing to God. So when you please God, I'm giving God the glory for it. He's thanking God. He's not thanking them for for being faithful and obedient. We said that in chapter 1. He doesn't thank the church at Thessalonica for growing spiritually. He thanks God that they're growing spiritually. So that last application part, which is not an application... Where God's word is heard or received. We've explained this morning that the word received is is to mean that they heard it. Where the word of God is heard or received and accepted. And accepted in obedient faith. And we see obedient faith there at the very end. Where he says it's at work in you believers. Those of you who are believing the word. So where the word of God is heard and welcomed in obedient faith, the power of God works. The power of God works. If we want to see our church be effective the way that the Thessalonica church was effective, then it means you have to come and hear the word. I have to be faithful to teach the word. You can't just hear it. You have to accept it. You have to do something with it. You have to hear it as the word of God, not the word of men. And when we do that, when we all are being faithful to teach the word, me on Sunday mornings, me in discipleship, you in discipleship, as that begins to happen, when we're faithful to teach it, and when people are faithful to hear it, then God begins to work for his eternal glory through our church. It's not the words of men, it's the words of God. Will we hear what we have heard this morning? Will you hear it? It's been spoken. Will you hear it? Will you accept it? If you do, then God will work with it. God will magnify his name in this area as we faithfully begin to make disciples like he's called us to. Let's pray. God, once again, we want to... Praise you and thank you for all your many blessings in our life. God, we thank you that you've given us a word, a physical copy of the Bible. For many of us, multiple copies of it. You've given it to us in a language that we can read and understand. God, I thank you that you've given us the physical ability to hear. That we can come on a Sunday morning and hear the spoken word. We can read it in front of us. God, I pray that we would be a church that that comes faithful to hear the word, that comes faithfully to accept the word, so that we can become faithful teachers of the word. God, I have such a desire for this church to be full of people who are making disciples, who are taking personal responsibility to pass the word on to others, who are taking personal responsibility to entrust the gospel into others. But God, I want them to entrust it faithfully. God, when you begin to bring new believers into this church, it's so crucial that they get a clear, accurate understanding of who you are.
So God, I pray that you would prepare us for that by helping us to be hearers of the word, acceptors of the word. And God, we're asking you to do what we know you will do. And that's to work in our midst as we hear the word and receive it. That you would change us. That you would use our teaching as we begin to make disciples to change others. That ultimately people would become people who are living in a manner that's worthy of you. And that ultimately, God, we can praise you. Not for my efforts, not for the efforts of anyone else in this church. But that, God, as you grow this church, we will be able to direct praise and glory to you. That we want to be here for your glory. We want to to grow people to be God-pleasers. And so when people begin to please you, God, help us to give you the glory and honor that you deserve. Because it's you who's going to work this. It's you that's going to provide the energy for this. Pray that you would go with us this week. Help us to, in our own context, apply this. If it means talking with other people in this church, if it means sitting down today and writing application sentences, God, that we would be faithful to do something with the word. Because it's not the words of men, it's your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.